0: Hello Shirley fans, for the last three years Jason and I have been bringing you the stories behind all of your favorite movies from the 80s, but today we begin a new series. In 2016 the Duffer Brothers introduced
1: the world to Stranger Things. This show not only changed the way we all watch television, but surprisingly also truly impacted the music we listen to. From Africa to running up that hill, Stranger Things has brought back songs of our past and introduced them to a whole new generation.
0: So, the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast begins a new series bringing you the stories behind the songs of Stranger Things. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Shirley You Can't Be Serious podcast. I can't tell you how excited I am to be jumping back into Stranger Things with my good buddy, Jason Colvin. What's up, D? How's it going, man? I am super excited to be here. We decided, guys, that we were instead of going episode by episode for the last four episodes of season one, we decided we're going to pack all of them into one super episode. We may not hit every single song, but we're going to hit the important ones and the ones with the good stories. And then at the end of all of this, we will give you, our top five songs for season one of Stranger Things. And then, once we're done with that, where well, of course
1: we're diving into our Christmas movies, where we're going to do Christmas Vacation versus Scrooge here in a couple of
0: weeks. Chevy Chase versus Bill Murray. I mean, it's just like backstage at yeah. SNL. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we'll see who wins the fistfight this time. Exactly. Exactly.
1: <laughs> hey, before we get started, I've got to do a, just a couple of quick shout outs I want to mm-hmm. mention real quick. So I was talking to my buddy, J.J. Woody, at the football game the other day. Yeah. So he was telling me that he listened to our Weird Al Yankovic episode. Yes. And he said when he was a young boy on Sunday nights, when his parents and family would go to eat after church, he would leave dinner early to go sit in his car so he could listen to the Dr. Demento show. Wow. I know, right? I didn't even know that that was a thing. So So was
0: he prohibited Uh from listening to it by his extra religious parent?
1: I, I don't... Think it was super high on their priority list, but uh, so little JJ out in the car listening to Doctor Demento. I thought that was pretty funny. That is funny. And then I got one more story for you, and then yeah. we can jump into Stranger Things. Okay. So my good friends Jeff and Sherry Gilliland, yeah, and they're my football buddies. Like we go to our, our son's football games, and we yeah. sit together, and we you know talk about the game or whatever. Jeff has become my poker buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So so he was sitting there, and he said uh, he was sitting in his house one day, and he's like, "Hey, that's Calvin's voice coming from inside my house," and he started to follow the sound <laughs> of my voice, and he followed it to his bathroom, <laughs> where his wife was taking a shower. <laughs> <laughs> Like, why is Jason's voice coming from inside my bathroom? So anyway, I thought that was just a funny story. Anyway, so the Gillilands have started listening. And uh, so shout out to Jeff and Sherry, good friends of ours. Thanks, guys. All right, D, I got a joke for you. Okay, yeah. What's the difference between a snowman and a snowwoman? I don't know. Snowballs. (laughs) That transitions us right into our Manscaped ad.
0: Oh, oh my God. (laughs) Which brings us to our sponsor for this particular episode, Manscaped.com. If you want your snowballs to look good, to be nice and smooth and round and appealing, it's time to clean it up down there, guys. Guys, this is a good thing to do for Mrs. Claus. It's a Christmas present to you. It's a Christmas present to her. And it's... Better than milk and cookies. That's right. And so what you can do is go to manscaped.com and use our promo code SERIOUS20 and it will get you 20% off of your order plus free shipping. Guys, it's Christmas time. And maybe you think, I, what am I going to give a ball razor to one of my best friends? Yes. The answer <laughs> is yes. He will appreciate it and so will his wife. And ladies, if you're listening to this... Perfect gift to give to your man that is the gift that gives back to you. Absolutely. And the code again is
1: SERIOUS20 for 20% off. Free shipping. It's a great gift. Uh, That's what I got you for Christmas. (laughs) Merry Christmas. (laughs) Yay.
0: (laughs) Can't wait to open up my package.
1: Go to manscaped.com right now. Whack it. Whack it. All right, so we're ready to jump into Stranger Things. Let's
0: do it. Yeah, let's jump into Stranger Things. Okay, so the first song in this episode comes from New Order, which is a perfect transition from our last song that we talked about with Joy Division in our last episode, because now we've got the guys who are in Joy Division. Right, right. except for Ian Curtis, who have come together and decided to form this new band, and so it transitions nicely into the first song in this episode. This song's called Elegia. It comes in at the very beginning when they're having the memorial service for Will, and then goes right into the opening credits.
1: Yeah, it sets the tone. For what you're seeing on the screen, this is is great at setting
0: the tone. It's perfect. It's haunting. It's beautiful. Just like the Joy Division songs, they've really got that post-punk thing going. Yes. Which, if you listen to our last one, or if you're familiar with Joy Division, you know that the guys who were left over after Ian Curtis committed suicide the day before they were supposed to leave for their big United States tour... That's right. ...they decided, hey, we're going to get together anyway, and we're going to pick a new lead singer... And we're going to continue, but they had made a promise to themselves that they would not keep the name Joy Division if any member of the band left for any reason. And so they had to decide on a new name. So they decided, hey, we're going to keep on going. We're going to do the tour, even though Ian Curtis isn't with us. We're going to figure out who's going to sing. And we're going to have to figure out a new name. And their manager, Rob Gretton, was looking at The Guardian, this magazine, and he came across an article that was called The People's New Order of Kampuchea, which is it's Cambodia. Okay. Right. But he saw that title and he was like, New Order, New Order. I think that's the perfect name for this band. And the rest of the guys were on board. And it's stuck. Now, they're without their lead singer, and so they have to either get a new lead singer or do what they did, which is nominate a new guy from the band to start singing the songs. Okay. So, the remaining members of the band were Bernard Sumner, Peter Hook, right? Name you love very much. Yeah, Captain Hook and Peter Pan had a baby? <laughs> And Stephen Morris. And Stephen Morris had a girlfriend who had joined them on stage previously. She played the keyboards. And so they decided, you know what? We need a new member of the band. Let's bring her on. But they didn't have her become the lead singer. They nominated Bernard Sumner. And so Bernard Sumner is the lead singer of New Order. Now, most of our listeners probably know New Order from their very famous song, Blue Monday. Monday. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great song. Yeah, I mean, a defining song of the 80s. And this band was a big band in the 80s, more so in the UK than here, but definitely a mover and a shaker as far as the sound of the 80s goes. But this song that we're going to talk about now is not as well known. That
1: song is called Elegia. And so here's what I know about the song. okay? Okay. So there's a single version, which is four minutes plus or so. Right. And then the real album version, which is over 17 minutes long. Oh, wow. This song has been featured in a lot of different entertainment that you probably have have seen or heard. Okay, so this song was featured in the Academy Award winning short called More by Mark Osborne. I know it from the film Pretty in Pink, the Molly Ringwald movie. Oh, okay. They play it in Pretty in Pink. Oh, yeah. Perfect. Right? Yeah. It was in the trailer for the 1992 film, Night of the Living Dead, believe it or not. Wow, okay. Yeah, and it was actually featured in the TV show, The Crown, if you remember that.
0: Yeah, it's it's
1: a pretty new show. Yeah. By the way, I've got a New Order story for you, just real quick. Yeah. Okay, so New Order was a little out of my wheelhouse as a a young man, Mm -hmm. but I was out of town, I was in Dallas one day, I was at the mall. And I'm running around, and there's a bunch of teenage girls that are, like, in line and going crazy for something. Okay. And I'm at the mall, and, of course, a bunch of teenage girls catching my eye because I'm 15 at the time, right? 1988. And I finally go up to a couple of them. Mm -hmm. Hi, I'm Jason. Good to see you.
0: (laughs) I said, uh, "How'd that
1: line go again?" How you doing? I'm Jason Cole. How you doing? (laughs) So, no, I I really did go up to him and I said, "What is going on here?" What you got? They had like papers. They were ready to get autographs. All this, all this stuff, Mm -hmm. and they said. New Order is here and they're going to be signing autographs. So you got in line and you got an autograph from the I order. said, I'm sorry, did you say Def Leppard? <laughs> no? Okay, I'm out of here. But uh, at the time, I remember that caught my attention because I, I was ingesting all types of MTV mm-hmm. and I didn't know who New Order was. Wow. But there you go. That was a little bit prior to when Blue Monday
0: really broke. So you were like a room away from having met these guys, and you said,
1: I'm going to go to the arcade. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> Karate champ is calling my name right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so that's okay. that's what I got for you. Okay. Did you want to tell your New Order story that you told me this
0: afternoon? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is so wildly inappropriate, but I'll go ahead and share it. So This I, is not your story. Yeah, You're it's just not my story. Away. Not my story at all. But I was... I, we, we do things, we read, we research, we watch documentaries. One of the documentaries I was watching, it was showing the guys from New Order in this kind of game show where they answer questions about the band, you know, like you know, like in the marriage, who's the one that gets upset easiest and right. who's the cleanest and all that, but it's all the members of the band. Right, 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 right. So they're going through these questions and they're like, okay, who's the laziest member of the band? And Peter Hook, I swear, without missing a beat, goes... It's got to be Ian Curtis. Guy hasn't done anything in years. (laughs) Like, oh my gosh. What? (laughs) whoa dude whoa too far oh my gosh but, yeah, everybody was in you know stunned to silence for a second <laughs> and then everybody just busted up laughing oh and just gosh. shaking their heads like you are right now it's
1: oh like, man woo. that's horrible oh boy
0: okay so the next song in this episode is a song by Tangerine Dream yeah This is a song called Green Desert we'll play it for you here. here's the song Very cool song. I love Tangerine Dream, but they've got songs sprinkled throughout, and so we'll jump into their story a little bit later. On. Sounds good. Okay, and then we just have one more song in this episode. Okay. And it is a song called Nocturnal Me by Echo and the Bunnymen. Okay, so this song comes in at the end of the episode it's when they're in the woods and then it blends right into those end titles another kind of ambient creepy sound sure. to it Echo and the Bunnymen is not a band that I remember hearing of before they had Few videos out on MTV. There were another Liverpool band, and they had a chance to be big. I mean, they had a chance to be really big, but they just—it just never quite happened for them. But I called you after I watched a documentary on them, and I said this was possibly the most boring documentary <laughs> I've ever seen. And I'm not even just talking about music biography. Deck. I mean, like. All documentaries, and I've seen some pretty boring ones. You are, yes, a consumer of boring documentaries. And this one was the worst. I mean, this was worse than the pulling out the projector at ninth grade <laughs> civics class. <laughs> I mean it would the band is just not a terribly interesting story with this band but they're from Liverpool so it was great to hear you know eh, cuz all the Liverpool sound like all the the Beatles Liverpool sounds just like the Beatles <laughs> yes
1: here's what I can tell you about the Echo and the Bunnymen yeah. okay this is the complete encyclopedia of my knowledge Echo and the Bunnymen right. they have a song on the Lost Boys soundtrack
0: are strange, when
1: Which I would love to break down the Lost Boys soundtrack sometime around Halloween.
0: That sounds great.
1: That's it. Moving right along to one of the
0: biggest two-hit wonders of the 80s. Before you say another word, just turn up the volume and let's crank it up. That synth line, man. I was obsessed with this song in the mid 80s. This
1: is a fantastic song.
0: It is, it's iconic. It is one of the most memorable, one of the most defining songs of that era. This is Sunglasses at Night by Mr. Corey Hart. Here's, this is, Corey Hart's story is kind of an interesting one. Yeah. He had, his sister did, um, Skating and dance yes. and stuff. Yes. And she happens to, in one of her little shows, she meets Tom Jones. Tom Jones! I know! It's not unusual to be. <laughs> <one of anyone. laughs> and so she's like, hey, my little brother, and I mean, he's what? He's like 11? Yeah. I mean, he's just a little kid. And she's like, my little brother loves to sing. I would love it if you, and, and so he comes over and like listens to him sing.
1: Listen, this story is highly suspicious. Why? Because Tom Jones is chasing a girl who's a figure <laughs> skater. He is, sure, I'll listen to your little brother, honey. What's up, Pussycat? <laughs> yes, of course. Yes. I would love know. to listen to a young man. I, what time should I be at your house?
0: Right. So, Corey is so nervous that he can't stand up. Like, his, <laughs> his legs are shaking too bad. Yes. So, he literally performs his song for Tom Jones in the living room on his knees. Yes. You know what song he sang? Tell me. Ben by Michael Jackson. Uh-huh. How about that? It awesome. And Tom Jones says, I can't help you, but I know somebody who can. Yes. And he says, let me get your tape, and I'm going to send it to Paul Anka. And my gosh, Paul Anka's like, dude, this kid's talented. Let's see what we could do. Yeah. Paul freaking Anka. Yes. Don't the
1: on a guy and Yes, absolutely. Well, I thought this was interesting. So they made some demos with Paul Anka. Mm -hmm. Didn't really go anywhere. Mm -hmm. But Corey Hart still had his dream, right? Right. And so here's what he did. I thought this was fantastic. Billy Joel and his band are coming to where Corey Hart grew up. Right. And he says, you know what? Billy Joel's in town. I want to make sure they have a demo tape of me singing. Yeah. He's like 17 years old at this point. So he he looks up their address, like their publishing address, uh-huh. and he writes a letter and sends a demo tape to each member of the band. Uh-huh. You know, Dear Mr. Joel, you right, know, right. here is my demo tape, please listen to it. Uh-huh. And so he sends it, and he hears back from... The saxophone player. Yeah, the saxophone player. His name's uh, Richie Cannata. And he contacts him and says, your tape's great, let's make demos together. Yeah. And gets him a record deal. Yeah. So, his first album is called First Defense. This comes out in 1983. Okay, this is just a few short years after contacting Billy Joel. So, on this album, he has already completed the whole album. He's recorded every song on the album, and he's kind of fiddling with this demo that he had from a few years ago called My Cigarette Got Wet. And he said this is funny because he's never smoked in his life, (laughs) but he had this song in his head called My Cigarette Got Wet. Okay. And he's like, "Eh, it's just not really clicking for me, right? Okay. But he's in the studio and he's playing with it, and he, he recorded the album in Manchester. Yes. And it rained the entire time, but he had just bought some brand new Ray-Ban sunglasses. Uh-huh. I have actually heard two stories on this. Okay. And so he's like, It's raining the entire time, but I really want to wear these new sunglasses, uh-huh. so I guess I'll just have to wear them at, at night. night. And I also heard another story where the producer said that the air conditioning was blowing in their faces so everybody had their sunglasses on to oh, protect okay. their eyes. Okay. Either way, it's a great story. But Corey Hart takes those words, sunglasses, at night, puts them in the song when the cigarette got wet. Right. And it like, boom, instant hit. Right.
0: But he's back in Canada at this point.
1: Right. That's right. He had already completed the album. Yeah. Totally done. And he contacts his producer and he said, hey man, I got, I got one more. And I really think it's good. Yeah. And to their credit, they're like, "Okay, let's let's do this." You
0: know. I mean, it's undeniable. It's undeniable, you, right? You don't you don't hear this song and go, "It's okay." <laughs> <laughs> it, it grabs you. This is one of those songs that just grabs you by the testicles. Right out of <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So this song is
1: released January 21st, 1984. It reaches number seven in September of 84. David Wright and I have gone round and round about the best year in music for the 80s. <laughs> and we pretty much basically agree that it's 1984. Yeah. So listen to this murderer's row of top ten. Okay. When you say, okay, seven, that's pretty good. It's not great. No, yeah. it's great with this
0: competition. Listen. Okay, yeah. I was going to say, because with this song, I would have expected higher than seven. So well, it's an iconic 80s song, right? What well, beats it.
1: Okay. Yeah. So number 10 this week in September of 84 is If Ever You're In My Arms Again. Okay? Okay. Set that one to the side. Okay. All right. All right. Number nine, If This Is It by Huey Lewis and the News. Okay, sure. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Number eight, Let's Go Crazy by Prince. Obviously. Right? Seven is Sunglasses at Night. Six is She Bop by Cyndi Lauper. Yeah. That's one we hope to cover this coming year. Right. Number five is When Doves Cry. Okay. I mean, massive song.
0: Which has the same story, right? Same story. It was absolutely a last second edition to Purple Rain. Yep. Hey guys, you really need to put this in. Uh, We're done. Could you listen to it? Okay, we'll put that in for you. (laughs) That's really great. We think it's a hit. Yeah. Number four, Ghostbusters.
1: Obviously. Number three, Stuck on You by Lionel Richie.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: Another song we hope to cover. Number two, Missing You by John Waite.
0: (laughs) Didn't you call this song like... The The worst song of the 80s, yes. (laughs) What did you call this song? It was like the biggest wuss fest... I can't remember what it was, but it was classic. Yes, Yes. uh, I
1: can't remember exactly, but I am not a fan of this song. All right, okay, keep going. And then finally, (laughs) at number one this week, What's Love Got to Do With It, Tina Turner's comeback. I mean, come on. I mean, what what are we talking about here? I mean, can you
0: imagine that all of those songs were out at the same time? Uh, it's in, incredible. in a day and an age where Taylor Swift has every single song on the top ten of the Billboard Hot 100, imagine a time where you had that many artists putting out that many high quality, freaking songs. great songs. kept kept this song at number seven. It's crazy. Yeah,
1: it is. Yeah. So listen to this. I got just a couple more tidbits on this. Okay. So the video won the Juno for Video of the Year in Canada. Yeah. Okay? Yes. The Juno is like the Canadian Music Award. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. He said he didn't even own a suit. He had to borrow Rick Springfield's suit. <laughs> when he went to the deal, he's wearing Rick Springfield's suit. Singing, I wish I had Ricky's suit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so this is a huge, huge song. So it reaches number seven. Yeah. Which is funny because you think of this as Corey Hart's biggest hit. It's not. Never Surrender reached number three really? in 85.
0: It had to, but it would, I mean, that has to have been because of this song. Yeah. I, just, I mean, it, yeah, it didn't have these I mean, it's other a great song
1: super too. songs to compete against. Right. In 1985, he declined the role of, wait for it, Marty McFly in Back to the Future. Wow. I don't remember him being on your list. He was on that the episode. list. Wow. For Marty McFly. Okay. okay. He also was one of the guys offered to sing "Danger Zone" in Top Gun. I do remember that. Go back to our Top Gun soundtrack episode. Yeah. And later on in his life, he's stepped away from all this because he
0: had children. Decided he wanted to be a dad. His dad was not around when he was a kid, and he's like, "And he taught me a good lesson. That I ain't did gonna not want to repeat." Yeah. Yep. And so, yeah, he's done a lot of producing. Has produced Celine Dion songs, several others. And it was funny in the interview I was watching. He was talking about that moment, you know, where the, the women are mobbing the car and you get a little nervous. And the the interviewer is like, yeah, I was talking to one of the guys from New Direction. And he was talking about how scary and unnerving that can be. And, and Corey Hart was like, well, if you don't want to be a farmer, don't work on the farm. That's it. Well,
1: listen to this. So this I thought was a great story. Yeah. He flew into Miami with his daughter. Yeah. And they're on the bus with everybody else going from the terminal to the parking lot. Right. Tennis. His... Kids play tennis, Okay. Yeah. And Sunglasses at Night comes on the radio. Yeah. And he's standing there amid all these people listening to the song, and he notices people are singing, people are tapping their feet, and he makes eye contact with his daughter, and it's just kind of this shared smirk of, (laughs) check it out, I was once really awesome, you know? Yeah. And he says he never gets tired of it. The song has done wonders for him, and it's just a great song,
0: and and, you know, it's a great moment. I gotta say, I had never listened to an interview with him before, but he seems like a genuine, down to earth, very cool guy. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, so that does it for Sunglasses at Night. Yes. So Brahms' Lullaby shows back up in this episode. Go back and check out episode check two. Check them both out. Go back and check out episode three. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. All right. And then at the outdoor supply store, when Nancy and Jonathan are stocking up, yep. We've got the song by the one, the only, is Dolly Parton, called "The Bargain Store." Is likened to a bargain store and i may have just what you're looking for if
1: you're she's been called the leading lady of country the smoky mountain songbird okay and the backwoods barbie so she was born January of 1946 in Locust Ridge, Tennessee, in a family of 12 kids. She said there were so many kids her parents couldn't watch them, so the older kids were like assigned a child. Like, this is your baby to watch over? Yes. So her baby died while she was in charge.
0: Oh my God.
1: Which is, you know, a, an impactful thing in her life. Yeah. So she was on the Cass Walker farm and home hour at 10 years old. At 13, she made it to the Grand Ole Opry. Now then, she started on the Porter Wagner show. Okay. okay.
0: Yeah.
1: You ever heard of Porter Wagner? Yes. Okay. So this is one of those times in her life where like, she explodes with her writing. She wrote so many songs, she says she ran out of paper. She wrote The Coat of Many Colors on the back of one of his dry cleaning tickets. And so, and of course, she's the star of the show. And yeah. it's it's one of those things where it's the Porter Wagner show, mm-hmm. but the real talent is Deli Park Right. So she decides one day that she's going to leave the show and she knows it's going to crush him and it's probably going to be the end of the show. And so she, in her own way, writes a love note to him so that she can leave. Do you know this story? No. Okay. So she tells him, hey, I want you to come in here. I want you to sit down. She grabs her guitar and she plays I Will Always Love You. If
0: I should stay I would always you way. So I'll go, but I know I'll think of you each step of the way.
1: That was her, quote-unquote, resignation from the show.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Now, there were some hurt feelings. He did sue her. <laughs> <laughs> okay? He didn't let her go that easily. Uh-huh. But, uh, of course, we know the success of that song.
0: Yeah. Casey and Avery were literally watching it two nights ago. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, in the 90s, you couldn't get away from the Yeah, the, way the bodyguard. The Houston version. Yeah, yeah. They were watching the bodyguard, yes. Right.
1: But they made amends, and she was actually at his bedside when he passed away. Oh, that's good. Since then, she has earned 25 number one songs, 25 gold, platinum, and multi-platinum records, nine Grammys, three AMAs, two Oscar nominations. She's one of the few people in the world who's been nominated for an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony. Some of the things you may have seen her in, 9 to 5, Steel Magnolias, Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. She did Islands in the Stream with Kenny Rogers in 1983. I went to Dollywood last summer. It was fantastic.
0: Okay. Let me just say this. So we've talked in the past about doing 9 to 5, probably against Mr. Mom. It's just one of the rule reversal combos, right? Yeah. And so I don't remember why or what caused me to kind of peruse IMDb on Dolly Parton and 9 to 5. Maybe it was that. Who knows? Sure. But this piece of information is just in my head, so I'm going to share it with you. Let's go. There was a TV series after the movie 9 to 5 called... Uh It had a very buxom, blonde woman in the part of Dolly Parton's part, right? It was her sister. What? I literally, I'm like, I can't find anything else. Oh, she's actually been in something with Dolly Parton. Oh my gosh, it's her sister. No way. Yes. That's fantastic. And since this is just out of my head, I can't tell you what her name is. But I can tell you, TV series, Dolly Parton's sister played Keep wanting to say Jolene, but I know that's it's not, not
1: Jolene, it. it's uh Dorley. Dorley
0: Dorley, yes. Doralee. Now then, I've gotta tell you just a couple of nuggets on the song. Okay, so this song is called The Bargain Store. Came out January of nineteen seventy five. Yes. It is a metaphor. The second hand merchandise at the store is like A woman who has been mistreated by a husband. Sure. But it turns out that a lot of the country stations would not play the song because there's a line that says you can easily afford the price, and they thought that was a reference to prostitution. Uh Uh-huh. So 1975 country music stations are pretty conservative, and they're like, nope, we're not playing this garbage. (laughs) You
1: whore. (laughs) Yeah. You I see. Yeah. And and I mean come on, Dolly's pretty pretty innocent. Pretty I mean she's pretty wholesome. She
0: absolutely is. It's just that she's built like she's built, and so uh, every mind is gonna go to that direction, right? She's got a bod for sin, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, how disappointed were you when you got done with the best little whorehouse in Texas and realized (laughs) there was no skin?
1: Yes. Hey, throwback to our thing episode where Kurt Russell and John Carpenter pulled up and it was Welcome Dolly Parton and Burt Reynolds. So you're absolutely right. Country music stations at the time were uncomfortable with it, even though she swears there's nothing naughty about the song at all. It's just a metaphor for a broken woman. Right. Now then, this was the fourth consecutive number one song by Dolly Parton. Okay? Wow. Okay, I thought this was kind of cool. Yeah. Four singles in a row hit number one. I bet you you could name two of the three
0: previous. Well, you have Love is Like a Butterfly.
1: Yes. You're cheating.
0: (laughs) You have the song that you mentioned. Yes. I Will Always Love You. Yes. But I don't know what that third one is. Jolene. Jolene, so there. Another bit of information that's rattling around in my head. I don't know how this came up, but I watched the video where she's performing live, and she's there's a real Jolene. I had no idea. Really? Yeah. She said uh, that there was a bank teller at the bank who was putting the moves on her husband, and she was an actual redhead. Really? And that is the yeah. That's the inspiration how about for that? Jolene. My
1: wife will just randomly start singing Jolene. By the way.
0: Oh well, me too.
1: <laughs> and
0: she she. Uh, She went out and had a talking with this girl. Did she? Yeah. She didn't threaten to, you know, turn her from a rooster into a hen, but (laughs) she she gave her a talking to and said, that's enough of that.
1: That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. By the way, in 1975, she won country music female vocalist of the year. And in 2019, this is how talented this woman is. Yeah. Dolly Parton's America was called the best podcast of 2019 by Forbes. Wow. So, Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony, and now the best podcast in America.
0: Well, she's pretty awesome. I mean, there's just no doubt about that. I don't know Mm -hmm. if it's as good as the Shirley podcast, but... (laughs) 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 Right.
1: Right. Okay, that's it for
0: me on The Bargain Store. All right, there's one more song in this episode. It comes when Jonathan and Steve are having their fight in the alleyway, and the song is another tangerine dream song. This one is called Exit. Again... Tangerine Dream, we're going to talk about them soon. They have the first song on our next episode. They have a song in the last episode of the show. So when we get there, we will talk about Tangerine Dream at that time. But this is, guys, if you don't know Tangerine Dream, if this is not a name that's familiar to you, if you know Risky Business and you know that scene, it's called Love on a Real Train. Yeah. That is the song that's playing and it is on my Spotify. It is on my Apple Music. That is a killer song. For, you know, the make-out list (laughs) mixtape of 1983. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that brings us to episode seven. Okay. And we have Fields of Coral as our first song, and this is by Vangelis who we talked about in our Blade Runner episode.
1: The first time I watched Stranger Things, and I watched it with my kids, I'm always pointing out things like, oh, that's from Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, that's from E.T. Oh, that's from Close Encounters. When the theme song comes on, the first thing that came in my brain, I'm like, that's Blade Runner.
0: Yeah, I mean... Tangerine Dream, Vangelis, all of those guys who are doing that ambient, Brian Eno, all of those guys who are doing that kind of ambient sound, Joy Division, right. New Order, that is the sound that they were going after in this episode, and you, as you've mentioned, not only did they take that music from the, the past, but they also, with their composers, Michael Stein and Kyle Dixon, yeah. they have recreated some ambient style of music to go along with that as well. Um, we will talk about those guys shortly, but they are the composers of the music that you're talking about, the theme music, right as well as all of the backing music for the scenes throughout the show.
1: Sure. By the way, I'm going to go ahead and just drop this nugget on Vangelis. If you don't know who he is, he had a number one hit in 1981 that was an instrumental. Yeah. Almost no songs in the 80s were instrumental number one hits, but this one was, and you absolutely know it. It's called Chariots of Fire. You could not
0: avoid this song in the early 80s like it was every. Everywhere. Yeah. And it's beautiful. It doesn't get old. It's fantastic. And I remember seeing the video for it. I mean, it's literally him sitting at a keyboard, like not even doing anything I know. except smoking a cigarette. Like it's black <laughs> and white and he's just bored. He looks bored smoking a cigarette and it's like, nah, 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 nah. wait, take a drag. <laughs> nah, 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 nah. I'm like, come on, dude put that on MTV yeah but he was he said it in he said it in interviews he's like i did this stuff for hollywood because not that i wanted to be famous i just wanted to have the money to be able to do what i want to do. okay and so that was really his impetus to go do these amazing things was that it, financially paid for him to do the more creative things sure. that nobody really listens to. Makes sense. So if you want the full story on Van go back and check out our Blade Runner versus the thing versus E.T. episode from earlier this year. June of eighty two that was something beautiful. It was something else, I'll tell you that. This song from Van is called Fields of Coral. It comes up two times in the episode. First time is at the buyer's house where Hopper, Joyce, Jonathan, and Nancy are talking to Mike, Dustin, and Lucas, and Eleven, and it comes in again a little bit later on at Mr. Clark's classroom and the gymnasium. Okay. Okay, the other song, this is the only fully formed song that comes up in this episode. The other song that comes up, we've mentioned several times in the past, but it's not sung by the band, it's sung by Noah. What? Yeah. So Will Byers is stuck in the Upside Down.
1: Oh yeah, that's right. And that's And right.
0: he's latched onto this song. And that's the reason that we keep hearing it throughout the season is it was this meaningful moment between him and Jonathan where they listen to it on the radio and Jonathan's talking to him about how The Clash is anti-establishment and not like your mainstream radio. And they have this moment, which is a little bit weird because this song came out like in 83. And so if this is supposed to be taking place in... November of 83. I'm not really sure how Jonathan was that in tune with everything, but we give them a little pass okay, here and there for sure. Things. I mean, Sunglasses at Night wasn't out until the next year, so yeah. it's alright that Steve's listening to it in the car, right? Right, right. So, anyway, in the show, Will Byers is singing this song. It's a pretty impressive moment in the show. And the name of the song is Should I Stay or Should I Go?
1: let me know.
0: Should I stay or should I go? Now the Clash was this amazing band, very influential. I, I will say this, okay? We've talked about a little bit about doing Sex Pistols versus The Clash, you know? Sure. As the two kind of main punk bands, the most well known punk bands of the early 80s. Right. And from what I've learned about them, basically it sounds like The Sex Pistols pushed the ball to the top of the hill and The Clash pushed it all the way down and back up the next hill. They took punk and over the course of their career made it into something new and exciting and more radio friendly than the Sex Pistols had ever done. But it was, it was not because they went commercial. It was because they became better musicians and they kept on insisting that they keep things unpolished and cool. But they were making better music. And this is basically the pinnacle. This is the top of that hill. Right. This song kicks so much butt. Absolutely. Okay, so instead of going into their whole history, I think I'm going to save that for when we do a full episode on these guys, all right? Sure. But what we need to know is that the most well-known version of The Clash included the vocalist and guitarist Joe Strummer. Okay. He's usually the guy you saw singing. The lead guitarist and occasional vocalist Mick Jones. The bassist Paul Simeon. The drummer Nicky Topper Heaton. And okay. he wasn't around for the whole time either. Okay. Normally you saw Joe singing, but in this particular song, Mick is the guy that's singing. And so, as it turns out, shortly after this song came out, he left the band. Right. Well, and so a lot of people were like, hey, is this some sort of hidden message of I'm, I'm really about ready to go? Should I stay? No. Should I go? Yes. Right. But then there's also this rumor... That's floating around about his then-girlfriend.
1: Yeah. Tell the story. Well, here's what I know. His then-girlfriend was Ellen Foley. Yeah. She sings on Paradise by the Dashboard Light by Meatloaf. Yep. So she's the one that's like... What's it going to be, boy? Yeah. I can wait all night. Everybody's
0: heard her voice. What's it going to be, boy? Right? Yeah, she's cute. Like, she was doing lots of shows then, too. Yeah. Had her own close-to-fame moments. By the way, in the Meatloaf video, yeah. the girl
1: who's singing in the video yeah. is actually lip-syncing Ellen Foley's vocals. Wow. Okay. And she's not the actual singer. Okay. So anyway, she had a relationship with Mick Jones.
0: Yeah. She had met them. She was going to check out a venue that she was going to perform at in a couple of days, and they happened to be performing there. And she met Mick Jones, and the googly eyes started, and they parted ways, and then came back and got together. And there was definitely a romance that was going on there. Yeah. So a lot of people think that this song is about that particular romance, right? Yes. Now, he has denied it. Right. But I was listening to an interview with her and she's like, I'm not here to confirm it or deny it. I didn't write the song, but I'll tell you this, a little while back, I got a check in the mail for $10,000 <laughs> and I called the, the company and I'm like, why, why am I getting this check? And they're like, well, this is for, should I stay or should I go? And she's like, well, I sang back up on a different song. Yeah. And they're like, oh yeah, we know about that, but this is, this is because um, the song is about you. And she goes, I'm sorry, how do you know it's about me? And they said, well, we read it on Wikipedia. (laughs) I'm going to Wikipedia and writing that this song is about
1: me. (laughs) Right.
0: And she says, okay, thank you. I guess I'll keep the money. And she says she continues to get checks to this day. They're not $10,000 checks, but she continues to get royalty checks. I bet they've got a bump after this after stranger things came out absolutely too. and then the other the other thing about the song it's interesting is that the it didn't hit the top 40 when it came out 45
1: is, is where it topped out at. it
0: was yeah the, that's crazy to me that is absolutely crazy and they re-released the single in a few different ways and it just never did hit the big charts until 1991 and there was a Levi's commercial. Now, these guys, I mentioned, they wouldn't do commercial stuff, right? They they didn't want to be anything other than true to themselves. They stuck it out, right? Right. Just to, I, just to give you a little story about that, right? So just before they did London Calling, like yes. when they're in the studio and they're trying to put it together, they, they need funding. They've fired their managers who sued them, you know, and they're, they're trying to get money. And so they've got... These executive guys who come over and are supposed to you know, watch them to decide whether do I want to invest or not. Well, they just happen to come over at the time that every day these guys break and go out into the park and play what we call soccer, play football with each other. Sure. And this is no holds barred football, right? This is like, like the, their road manager was like, this was my opportunity when I was mad at them for whatever they were doing. I could take it out on them on the football field, right? I'd let them have it. And so these executives show up right before they're about to go play football. Do they stop and say, okay, well, we'll play our music for you? No, they say, hey, we're going out to play football. You want to go? And these guys are in leather shoes and sport coats, right? And they don't want to be embarrassed, so they say, "Sure, sure." Can I? They take off their coats and they go out. And he said, "The band whooped these guys <laughs> back and forth all over. I mean, like shouted in their face, just you know, all over them." And of course, they got the. Of course they did.
1: Yeah. Of course they did.
0: So that's who they are. Then, you know, 1991, 10 years after all, or more after all of this has happened, they get a call from Levi's that says, hey, we want to use your song in this video. So they asked Mick, because he's the guy that wrote the song, what do you think? And he said, you know what? Levi's was a part of what we were. They wanted to look good on stage without looking you know looking planning. like they're trying to look at yeah, yeah right so they, uh, they do they look cool up on stage but part of that cool look was the Levi's look and so he said yeah okay go for it yeah and when that happened it was re-released in the UK and that's when it did its best on the charts number one
1: it hit number one in the UK yeah. after that Levi's commercial by the way I watched that Levi's Levi's commercial yeah it's a good commercial it's basically a young guy, model, walks in, he plays an older guy, playing pool, mm-hmm. and the guy wants to play him for his Levi's. Yeah. And the guy in Levi's wins, and he makes the other guy take off his pants. <laughs> so. Alrighty then. While the hot girl is, you know, watching. Right. I just want to drop this bomb on you. Okay. Now, they played the, the Us Festival. We've talked about the Us Festival many yeah. times. Yeah. So they're they're, they're like hardcore socialist, extreme left-wing, mm-hmm. non-commercial, give-all-your-money-away type of guys, right? Yeah. Yeah. But when they went to the Us Festival, they put on the big screen behind them and the, like projected it the check that they received from the Us Festival for playing. Like, here's our check! How un-rock-and-roll is this? There's our <laughs> check!
0: <laughs> this was the same show... That Van Halen got paid more money per minute than any other band had ever gotten paid in history yep. For an hour and a half long show And I've talked to folks that were there They sucked Oh really? Dave was drunk out of his mind, like the show oh, was yeah. terrible. What I've heard is Judas Priest was the best show at the S Festival 1980. I think we talked about how NXS was really, really good at, yep. the, at the S Festival. Yeah, so. I mean, and so many bands, we talk, Motley Crue. Yep, they they all thought they were terrible. They were yep. like, oh, we're terrible, but. Their managers at the time pointed out, you know what? Doesn't matter. The crowd loved you. And that was that was the key. But Us Festival, I'm so glad it comes up again.
1: I know, right? It just keeps coming up.
0: Yeah. I got one more
1: tidbit on this song okay, before yeah. we bounce off of it. Yeah. So in the middle of the song, you'll notice that they're echoing the lyrics in Spanish. Yeah. That You know, they're playing around in the studio and they're like, I really think there needs to be something right here.
0: Yeah. Joe's the one that was like, let's
1: do this in Spanish. Yeah. And they're like, do you speak Spanish? The guy's like, well, I kind of speak a little (laughs) Tex-Mex. And so they kind of passed it around. Okay, who can talk? Who can translate? Who can help us out with this?
0: So anyway, the guy called his mom. Yeah, the guy's mom spoke fluent Spanish. So he gives her the lyrics in English. She translates them into Spanish. Now, I was listening to this song just this week. I just thought it was gibberish. Right. Right. And Brock's like, why are they speaking Spanish? How did you know this was Spanish? He's like, well, I heard... You know, <laughs> spouted out some sort of Spanish. This is what you get when you're in high school Spanish for, right? Exactly. <laughs> so he, he recognized something. But apparently a lot of people were like, what is this strange Spanish? It's Ecuadorian. She's from Ecuador. So it's Ecuadorian Spanish. There you go. Not Mexican Spanish like we're used to down here in the South. Makes perfect sense. There you go.
1: Great song. Yeah, fantastic song. Iconic, and really one of the the pillars of the entire season one of Stranger Things.
0: Yeah. Okay, so that brings us to the beginning of the final episode of season one, episode eight, and our final song by Tangerine Dream, Horizon. <music> this is the final song by Tangerine Dream. Very quick. I love these guys. They, like Vangelis, kind of led and pioneered the electronic movement, and they did a ton of soundtracks in the 80s. One of my very favorites being that Risky Business song that we listened to. Right. They started off and were doing sounds like a sequencer before sequencers even existed. And sequencers are huge in the Stranger Things soundtrack, the way those kind of funky, weird pulses and beats and stuff like that. That's all through sequencers, which i will talk about here in just a second, but they were doing that type of music before it was even programmable into a sequencer, right? And it's hard, I told you, I was like, I was trying to find a documentary on these guys. Yeah, yeah. They're all in German.
1: <laughs> a Little hard to understand, huh? Yes.
0: <laughs> I just have to brush up with my German here. But they, not understanding English, is probably a part of how they got their name. It was a misunderstanding of lyrics. And it was a misunderstanding of lyrics in one of the most misunderstood songs of all time. What? Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Yeah? Says, with tangerine trees and marmalade skies. German ears of the time, I guess, heard tangerine dreams oh that's a cool story i like that so that's where they that's where they got their name again dj peel comes in yeah and they get signed to virgin records which was just beginning at that same time early 70s and then by the 80s they're doing soundtracks and we get all of this amazing ambient earthy yeah cool music so we could go on forever on tangerine dream but we've got several songs to finish up with so let us jump Real quick, next song is a song that's a newer song. This one's by Moby, and it's called When It's Cold, I'd Like to Die. Where were you when I was lost? Okay, so if you were around in the 90s, you probably remember Moby. He's, yeah. He's kind of a big deal. Even I... Had heard of Moby. So. Right. You're not, you're not into EDM, but right. Moby was big enough that you were hearing his stuff. He features strongly in the Born series. He's got some great music in the Bourne series. Really? Music. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you hear that track that tells you it's Born Identity, that's Moby, right? They used to play Body Rock by Moby before the OU football kickoff. Perfect. So this song comes off of his album called Everything is Wrong. It was released March of 1995. And this was not a single on that album, but it's been used in a series before this. This was used in The Sopranos. Okay. And this is one of two songs on the album that features a vocalist named Mimi Gois. This song appeared at the closing credits on The Sopranos episode, Join the Club, and as we know... Is in this one several times as Eleven is trying to like save her friends. They're playing this song over and over again and it comes back up in season four. Really super cool song. Really kind of an emotional song. Great one to put here. Not 80s, not psychedelic rock, but cool stuff. Awesome. That brings us to the next song which is Carol of the Bells. Everybody knows Carol of the Bells and when you and I were talking before this episode, we're like, we're we going to hit every single song. Well, right, of course. But then I said, if it's got a good story to go along with it, then we should definitely cover that song. Right. And we started looking at Carol of the Bells, and I'm through, go scrolling through stuff, and I'm like, wait, assassination? Right, what? exactly. Yeah, so you want to tell the story?
1: So Carol of the Bells was originally a Ukrainian folk chant called Shadiak. Shadik? Shadyuk. Shadyuk? Shady. <laughs> Shedik. <laughs> Shedik. Yeah. Shedik. Okay. Yeah. And so it was composed by this guy named Mykola Leontovich. Something like that. Leontovich? It's Ukrainian. Hey, my Ukrainian is not what it once was, okay? Right? Okay. But it we're going to talk about things like cultural
0: diplomacy an invasion and assassination in this? It's it's incredible. Okay, so this song was composed by Mikola Leontovich. Right. And it was first performed right around Christmas 1916. It led to him becoming famous. This is definitely his most famous song, even at the time. Right. Just a little over four years later, he would be murdered.
1: So Leontovich is this Ukrainian composer, and he comes up with a song. He's actually very critical of himself. He wasn't really comfortable with this being this super famous next-level song because he was always like, "Ah, I think it could be better.
0: Yeah, he was supposed to be a priest, went to school to be a priest, and uh, after doing all that, he was like, I want to do music. And he was really more like your high school music teacher. Right. He would put choirs together at whatever whatever school he was teaching at. That was kind of what he did. So he puts together this Ukrainian choir in 1919.
1: And he gathers up all the best singers from around the countryside and they're going to go on this tour of
0: Europe to sing this song and others. Just as a reminder for what's going on in the Soviet-slash-Russia at that time, you've got the Bolshevik Revolution going on, right? right? I mean, the the Soviets are taking over the Russian countries. Yes. In
1: 1919, Woodrow Wilson at the peace conference in Paris declares the Baltic states are independent and they can self-determine their own fate. Right. Well, guess who doesn't recognize that? The Soviets. Yeah, of course. Right. So they're like, oh, guess what? We're going to go ahead and invade Ukraine. Right. Sounds kind of like today.
0: Yeah. There's a secret police that's formed called the Cheka. This is kind of a pre-runner of the KGB. And they send these guys out all over the place. Their targets tend to be the intellectuals and the artists. And Leontovich is one of those guys. So with all this unrest going on, he goes back to his hometown of Tolkien,
1: okay. which is
0: in Western Ukraine, okay. and he's staying with his parents. He's religious, which is another group that Kind of a no-no, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so he goes back and is visiting for the Eastern Orthodox Feast of the Nativity. And there's this guy who it seems like he's a border. He's like, hey, I just need a place to stay for the night. And so his parents let him sleep. He is sleeping in the same room as Mikola and in the middle of the night takes a rifle and shoots him. Because it turns out he's one of these Czechist secret agents, which, I mean, basically this is the brute squad, right? They're just out there murdering these people. He robs the house and leaves. It seems pretty clear that Mikola was a target.
1: Absolutely. This is a total assassination. Yeah. The, the brood Squad is after this guy, and they yeah. take him out. Yeah. Because why? Because he's a famous U- Ukrainian. Yeah. All right, so the choir continues on to America, reaches Western audiences. They appreciate it. In 1921, that's when they play Carnegie Hall, and the American audience starts to chant, Long live Ukraine. And it starts to sort of tip the tide a little bit culturally mm-hmm. for Ukraine. Well, Russia doesn't like that. And so they do everything they can to stamp it out. Russia actually kind of does that they kind of it kind of diminishes in popularity russia takes
0: over ukraine fast forward now to 1936 this other musical master peter wolowski hears it and is like i think i can make a basically a christmas song out of this yeah yeah the original poem that this is based on is i mean it's basically prehistoric it's been passed down forever and it was about this swallow coming into somebody's house and bringing good news of a good spring coming and That's what this song originally was. It was this new year, new spring kind of thing. It's only when Peter Wilhowski changes the words to the sweet, sweet bells and the Mm ding-ding-a-dong that we get. Carol of the Bells, that we know and love.
1: He's actually of Ukrainian descent.
0: Did not know that. Yes, he nice. is. Nice.
1: So he plays it on NBC Radio. And here's this beautiful song being introduced again to Western audiences. And music teachers around the country wrote in to NBC Radio and said, I've got to have the music for this song so I can teach my, my class. Bells. Well, one of the things I thought was interesting, a lot of people had kind of lost touch with this song again mm-hmm. until Home Alone. <laughs> <laughs> and it introduced it again to a new generation. Sure. So it's been played in Home Alone. They used it in Die Hard. They used
0: it in The Simpsons. Harry Potter used it. In 1994, when D Graves was working at TGI Fridays and we had to have birthday songs that weren't Happy Birthday, Yeah. during the Christmas season, I came up with it's your birthday it's your birthday it's your birthday (laughs) and the other singers would come in in harmony and i would say here you are at fridays and we're singing you a song if you do not like it then we will not sing it long happy 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 birthday happy 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 birthday I, I would love, I would love to know they're still <laughs> singing that somewhere. At some TGI Fridays. That's pretty 25 good. Years later, yeah.
1: That's pretty good. I like it. Yeah. Thanks. Good job.
0: We're ready for our next Christmas song. Now, this song is one of Bing Crosby's most famous songs, "White Christmas."
1: I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Just like the I used
0: to know. Okay, so this song comes in just before we get the mysterious ending in the episode. This is Christmas at the buyer's house, right? Yeah. Will's back, everybody's happy, you know, celebrating Christmas. And then we get this kind of weird ending a little bit later on that we're not expecting. Right. But this song. White Christmas is one of the most famous songs from one of the most famous Christmas, quote unquote, movies that we know. We've already talked about this movie. We talked about this movie on our first season when we did Die Hard versus Lethal Weapon. And the reason that we talked about it is because our friend, Mr. Stephen D'Souza... We'll do a side-by-side comparison of Die Hard versus White Christmas to say Die Hard is a much more Christmas movie than White Christmas is. <laughs> and if that's the case, then it must be a Christmas
1: Clearly, movie. Clearly, when you compare Die Hard to White Christmas, Die Hard is more Christmassy and deserves to be a Christmas movie. Yeah, go back and listen to that episode from season one. Yeah, so
0: that movie had Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye in it. Danny F and K. Dan- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, uh, stay, <laughs> stay tuned boys and girls because that's our next matchup is we are going to be matching Christmas Vacation against Scrooge. Don't hit, forget to hit the subscribe or follow button so that you don't miss that episode, okay? <laughs> right, um, you don't want
1: to miss Ben Crosby tap dancing with Danny FNK. <laughs> Now, this song,
0: White Christmas, was sung by Bing Crosby, but it was written by a guy named Irving Berlin. I don't know a lot about Irving Berlin. I was talking to you about it as I was learning on my D.
1: The songs that this guy wrote. Oh, yeah. My gosh, he changed American music. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're talking about putting on the Ritz, cheek to cheek, White Christmas. Anything you can do, I can do better. There's no business like show business. And finally, I mean, God bless America. God bless America. Are you kidding me? I know, right? This guy is American music. He is a rock star.
0: Before, there were rock stars, if you will.
1: So he was asked to write a song for the movie Holiday Inn, which starred Ben Crosby and Fred Astaire. The funny part about this is that he's writing this in L.A. There's actually two places, two hotels. There's the La Quinta and the Biltmore, and both claim that he wrote that song at their location. Okay, But if you look at the lyrics, it's a homesick song. Right, yeah. He started this song in nineteen thirty eight, finished it in nineteen thirty nine. When he played it for Bing Crosby, he would he would do this, right? And so he'd go into his dressing room and he'd play these songs, and Bing Crosby was like, Yeah, okay, I like that one, okay, we need to work on that one. And when he played White Christmas for him, he's like, Well that one's one you don't have to worry about. Instant hit. So a few weeks later, the attack on Pearl Harbor happened. Okay. okay, so we're in the middle of World War II. Bing Crosby introduced this song on Armed Forces Radio. Okay. And when they played White Christmas, the homesick lyrics really hit home with the G.I.s. I'm dreaming
0: of a white Christmas
1: With every Christmas card And it became this hugely requested song and this idea of, I want to go home. Right. right? right. I want to go home for Christmas. I'm dreaming of home. So Ben Crosby, after the success of this song, went overseas during World War II. And somebody asked him, he said, what's the hardest thing you've ever done? He said, I sang White Christmas for 100,000 GIs. And I knew a lot of these guys would not be coming home. And that was right before the Battle of the Bulge. Mm -hmm. And many guys did not come home. Oh, my gosh. This is the biggest selling single of all
0: time. I looked up Irving Berlin on Spotify. I'm sure our listeners, some of them are familiar with Spotify. When you go to a particular artist, it will give you the top five songs, as far as downloads go, that they have. Right. For Irving Berlin, number one, obviously, White Christmas. Okay. Number two, White Christmas. (laughs) Number three, White Christmas. Number four, White Christmas. And number five, White Christmas. This has been covered by so many people, and it is a smash every single time. His top five downloaded songs are all some version of this song. That's cool. Yeah. This
1: song actually has the distinction of being the only song where the presenter at the Oscars presented the award to himself.
0: Irving Berlin was the presenter.
1: Irving Berlin was the presenter. And when he's like, and this year's Oscar for best song in a movie goes to myself. Me. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Shake hands with myself. And so it was so awkward. The Academy said that will never happen again. That's too weird. we got to make sure the presenter is never the acceptor. Right. So this is before they kept track of, like, physical sales. Mm -hmm. But the Guinness Book of World Records still has him between 50 million and 100 million physical singles sold of White Christmas. Wow. Best-selling single of all time.
0: Nice. How could we skip this? We can't skip this. No way. No. Okay. And that brings us to the very last song of the episode. And it brings us back full circle to the beginning. The very first song that we heard is the theme. And the very last song is a song by... Kyle Dixon and Michael Stein, these guys had been playing music together for 10 years. And I mean, they're really just, they look like guys that work at Walmart. I mean, its they, they look they like do. just Joe Schmo, they right? They look like they could be your pizza delivery guy. So these two guys had formed this band called Survive in Austin, Texas, back in 2009. This band did a bunch of live shows, had an EP and an LP, and the last song on one of these albums the Duffer Brothers had taken and created a mock trailer for Stranger Things. And these guys had no idea. They just suddenly got this random email from the Duffer Brothers, who at that point, nobody knew who the Duffer Brothers were. Right. right? And they just right. said, hey, we're going to do this new series for Netflix. And I'm, I'm sure at that point you're like, does Netflix make movies? Right. I thought it was the... DVDs that I got in the mail. Right. 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 I'm so sorry. I paid my bill last month. (laughs) (laughs) But they're like, no, we've got this trailer we use your music for. We think your music is awesome and perfect for the style that we're going for. Yeah. And so these guys have been playing music together for 10 years. Suddenly they just, they get that magical call and they end up winning a Grammy for the soundtrack for this show. I mean, it's, it's pretty impressive how things can just kind of magically happen for guys who just do what they love doing.
1: That's that is an awesome story. Yeah, it really That's is. That's like the very end of Dumb and Dumber where the bikini girls
0: pulled up <laughs> out of nowhere. Except, hey, except that these guys did not give them wrong directions. <laughs> yeah, no. Right. So those are the composers, which obviously deserve a lot of credit. And then another person who deserves a lot of credit on this one is the music supervisor, Nora Felder. And she's been a music supervisor for tons of stuff. But we've talked about the genius placement of these songs. And I don't know how much is her and how much is the Duffer Brothers and all of that. But, I mean, just White Rabbit alone is such a perfect, perfect song for the very first episode of this entire series. Right. It's brilliant. So Nora Felder, also somebody worth mentioning. Absolutely. Okay. Are you ready to talk? Top three songs, top two stories for this.
1: All right, so let's let's do this.
0: Okay. Top three songs. Yeah. Top two stories. Yeah. How about
1: unexpected songs that maybe you liked more now than you, or maybe you didn't know about or something like yeah, that? Yeah, okay,
0: that sounds great. Can yeah. you pull that off? Yeah.
1: Okay, you want me to do my top three or your top how about, three? How, 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 we, about,
0: how about I do three, you do three, I do two, you do two, I do one, you do one. Okay, sure. Sorry? Yeah. Okay. These are the three best songs. Three best songs. Okay. Yeah. So number three for me. Yes. Corey Hart, Sunglasses at Night. <sighs> Yes, love it. Fantastic song. Yeah. I mean, it, it was defining song, not only for me, but for that entire 80s period. Perfect choice for the scene in Stranger Things. Love it. Top to bottom. Yeah. So
1: my number three song is Hazy Shade of Winter by the Bengals. Oh, good one. Yeah. Every time that one comes on, crank
0: it up to 11. Let's go. Yeah, solid choice. Okay. Susanna Hoffs. Still looks good. Oh, my gosh. Still looks good. Okay, so number two for me has to be Africa. Okay. Yeah, Toto's Africa comes back with this episode. I think, you know, we solved that riddle. Has to be Stranger Things that brings Africa back to the forefront, which leads us to do the album. I loved everything about learning about Toto. And, guys, be sure and go check out our Toto episode, History of Toto, and Toto 4 that has the full details of Africa on it. But, I mean, another iconic 80s
1: That's one of my favorite track-by-track track episodes that we've done is Toto 4. Yeah. Okay, my number two song is Sunglasses at Night. Oh, okay. That synth line comes on, and oh, man, it's just undeniable. Huge song from 84. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I, I love it. Same Perfect. reason you did. Yeah. Okay, so my number one song has to be White Rabbit by Jefferson Airplane. Oh, well, wow. okay. I know it's unexpected. It's a song from the 60s instead of from the 80s, but it's such a powerful song. It was so new, so innovative, and it's such a perfect fit for this show. I have to say, I can listen to it over and over and over again and never get tired of it.
1: It's, it's definitely a musical masterpiece. Yeah. I, it's fantastic. Yeah. My number one is Africa by Toto. Well, well, sure. All right, top two stories that we dug out on these songs.
0: Okay, so number... Two, on this one, you know, my second favorite story has to be the Father Yod story that came from <laughs> Sky Saxon and the Seeds. Absolutely brilliant story. I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's one of those rabbit holes that you went down. Yeah. Hey, I'm the rabbit hole guy normally, but that was a rabbit hole for you, and it was a fantastic one. I loved learning about. Well, thank you. Father that makes Yod me feel good. I'm glad. And that... His unfortunate demise.
1: <laughs> the Hang Letter accident on Christmas Day. Uh, that. <laughs> Okay, cool. So my number two story is the Go Nowhere Reagan youth story. The amazing serial killer, prostitution, drug abuse, that whole thing blew my mind. And I know it's coming up, so I'm going to punt it to you.
0: Well, yeah, that's number one for me, for sure. 100%. I mean, when we very first said to each other, hey, we should look look at doing the soundtrack of Stranger Things. That's a fun, different thing to do, right? Right. And I'm just skimming through and I'm like, Reagan Youth, I kind of remember that name. And then I come across that story and I was like, holy cow, this is... Movie-worthy. This is 100% movie-worthy. So that one, yeah, definitely my number one. What's your number one? My number one is Heroes with David Bowie. Okay.
1: The idea of doing a concert at the Berlin Wall, and you've got West Berlin singing, and you can hear people in East Berlin singing at a time when, I mean, people were concerned about the rise of communism and all this stuff. And so the idea, the uniting power of music, Heroes by David Bowie.
0: Fantastic. I love it.
1: Yeah. Okay, Dee. we went through all these songs. Is there any song that maybe you hadn't heard before or one that you appreciate more now that we've done
0: it? What do you think? Um, honestly, it was one of the ambient songs. It was Fields of Coral by Vangelis. I had to drive the family at the wee hours of the morning to the Dallas airport, and I had that thing blaring in my ears for a good portion of the drive down.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Okay.
0: Yeah. How about you?
1: Well, for me, there's two. Actually, I'm going yeah, to kind of break my own rules here, but... Uh, Heroes by David Bowie blew me away. I'd never heard that song before in my life and just love it. Yeah. And then the second one, I've got to go with Trooper and Raise a Little Hell.
0: Nice. That was a great one. Yeah, for sure.
1: I mean, that's like a classic rock. Could have been a staple. I don't know why I'd never heard it
0: before. Yeah, Because they're a bunch of Canadians.
1: <laughs> hey, Cam. Hey, Eddie, Aichino.
0: <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for joining us. It's perfect that we're ending on these Christmas episode songs. And we look forward to jumping into our Christmas episodes with you soon. We will be doing Bill Murray in Scrooge versus Chevy Chase in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. It will be another fun Christmas episode that we will do. Can't wait to see you guys then.
1: It's going to be a Christmas where we staple antlers to mice.
0: <laughs> and wouldn't be more surprised if I woke up with my head stapled to carpet. <laughs> We're
1: going to light the Christmas tree on fire and sing... <laughs> the star spangled banner it's going to be awesome yeah thank you guys